passage for today comes from the book of Isaiah. And I just want to read through all the verses that will speak through, and then we'll dive in and go through what the Lord has for us. This comes from the ESV, Isaiah, uh, verse, chapter 50, verse 10 to 51, verse 3. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his let him who walks in darkness has no light. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his name. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and the torches that you have kindled. This you will have for my hand, you shall lie down in the torment. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you were down. Look to Abraham your father, Sarah who bore you. For he was but one among all, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her wastes and makes her locals like me, her desert like a garden of Shalite and clouds will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. This is the word of the Lord. First thing I want to talk about and share before we dive into this passage is what? When we think about this passage, we think about the Bible. What portion of the Bible, what percent of the popular, our stories, our narrative, or punishment? 
Sim, Senhor Jesus. Sim, Jesus. É
come to him. Blood. So we need that. But this encouragement, the command to trust in him, in verse 10, is now followed by a word. It's followed by the opposite of trust in him. The opposite. And it uses that for um, making your own fire, kindling your own torches, and kind of living in the light of your own fire and torches, right? We're going to see in a moment this is a metaphor for self reliance, self sufficiency. So the opposite of faith is not doubt, the opposite of faith is self reliance, it's self trust, or trust in things other than. Now, I want to briefly have a side point before we dive into this metaphor about it, because you want to understand this point. Uh, when it ends in, you shall lie down in torment. Just to clarify, that word torment can also be in Hebrew translated pain or grief. So, Alan Moyer's famous commentary in Isaiah talks about being laid down, you shall have this right hand, you shall lay down in a place of pain, a place of grief. This is why this is a Greek translation of the Old Testament uses the Greek word "lupet," which means sweeping the grief. So, as I have to say, it's unlikely in this passage that torment has eternal suffering or hell or anything like that. It's rather saying uh, suffering and pain as a result of something that's happened in this life. So, let's look at this metaphor. God is warning against creating your own fire. Creating their own lives. We'll talk about what that means. But Isaiah engages in a level of sarcasm. So I'm saying, like, yeah, go ahead. Live with the light of your own fire. Go ahead and do that. See what happens. So we need to understand this metaphor. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of severe warning. And to understand this metaphor, we should ask, what do fires do in the dark? That's the primary image here of you're in this darkness instead of trusting in the Lord, you're creating your own fire. What do fires do? They provide guidance. This allows you to see and interpret, right? If you're in a dark, ancient world, especially if you're trying to travel somewhere, you see if it's the road or my off the path. Is this a stone or a snake? So fire both illuminates the also allows us to interpret its hands. Not only does that though, it provides warmth and comfort. Right? So you might remember those of you who are interested in uh, environmental science or weather, uh, often desert places they'll get really hot at night, and the evening that should get quite cold. It's the point where we wouldn't want to let a fire stay warm. We did light fires in the evening. They're traveling away somewhere for both warmth and comfort. And so, to understand the metaphor of self fire, the opposite of faith, we should look at what does it mean for our self reliance to be, have that be with how we're seeing and interpreting the world, and having our self reliance be what warms us and comforts us. I think there's a few ways we can see this. This First thing, primarily, in this way of guiding and interpreting your reality is where your default 
is to rely on your own wisdom, your own experiences, your own ability. And this is so natural for us, right? This is very natural. And I have to say it's a default or primary way, because God has given us wisdom, it's in fact the wisdom to make decisions. So I don't want to be black and white here, just to place that. God gives us freedom to use our insights and experiences to make decisions. What I mean is the impulse to kind of do love apart from it. To make decisions, to make choices, to interpret your life kind of without God in mind. So just here are some examples of this, right? That I've noticed in my faith or in the last few years. Something like of course I should move to the best school district I can. Is that, is that thought? Is that primarily the best for your kids in their emotional life, in their spiritual life, in the life of your family? Another example. I've been serving for 10 years, 5 years, 10 years. Of course I should lead this ministry. Is that relying on God's wisdom? Or is it coming from your of course, it should promotion. Will those additional responsibilities keep you from living a holistic life on us? Where you have time to rest, and time to serve, and time just to be? Oh, so and so didn't invite me to their party or celebration. They must not care about me. Do you see how all these examples include some level of self interpreting? We're kind of not inviting a lot of conversation. Living by our default interpretations of them. And that's just in general. How about specifically in times of darkness? Let me give you a few of those. I feel distant from God. He's rejected me. Someone will make So, starting off with a real experience, I feel distant from God. And we move into interpretation. It's like, I think He's rejected me. Maybe I screwed up to when it feels that way, we have to remember what is true. That God has promised, I will never leave you for sin. I will not abandon you. So we have a choice, even in our darkest moments, we do have a choice of how we interpret darkness. Do we believe the lies of the enemy of our souls? The lies of despair, desire, depression, suffering, or we look at scripture and realize we can run to God in our darkness, lament to Him, and trust that He is We can learn to let God interpret the darkness. Another example where we're in the dark and relying on self. I feel stuck. I don't think I'll ever change. I hate life. Or I've been feeling more anxious. So I'm going to fix that by signing up for a yoga class or doing X, Y, Z. Again, nothing inherently wrong with those things, but are we inviting God's truth and God's word to help interpret this And the examples here, I just want to highlight the issue is not circumstances, right? It's again, the issue is that we rely on, we can believe in trust, we are going to. Is your guiding light to navigate? And how do you interpret your everyday experiences? 
description? Is from God's perspective? Or is it through your background and life experiences or cultural background? Or even just through our own goals and selfishness? I don't know, it's hard. Isn't it hard to include the Bible? It is not much. It's hard to consistently look at life with God and interpret how it works. And it's not just us. In Scripture, we're given multiple examples of this. I just want to give you two. If you remember Joshua, uh, who came after Moses, right, who's getting uh, God's people, he's described as a man of faith who obeyed the Lord and lived deeply in the light of God's Yet there's a scene, right? God commanded the people to go into the land, to not make any trees, these people, but to eliminate them. Right? Because these were people who were practicing child sacrifice, all this other wickedness. So God was using the Israelites for his judgment. And we see in Joshua 9, a foreign group comes to Joshua and his weapon. They come with their dress worn out sandals. Have stale and moldy bread, uh, they're weathered and tattered looking water jugs, right? So, practically, they look like they've journeyed from a long time away. Well, from a place far, far away. And that's exactly what they said. They said, We are foreign people. We've heard of your greatness. We've traveled miles and miles. Look, when we first left, our bread was fresh and now it's stale, right? And there's this one verse, verse 14, and we're tossing out Joshua and Smith. Sampled this, this group's provisions and saw they were bullying it. They did not consult the Lord. They did not consult the Lord. They did all the practical things. They used practical wisdom. They made a practical judgment that made sense, but it was not from the Lord. And that history ended up being one of many ways that the practices of the people there began to infect God's. Another example of this, the New Testament, uh, this example of relying on yourself, is Paul. Paul speaks of this very In 2 Corinthians, he talks about, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that we were of the affliction we faced in Asia, but we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We talk about experiencing depression while you're going through brutal circumstances. That's very honest, right? We despair of life itself. But here's what he says in verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Implicit, Paul said, that we were. We were beginning to rely on ourselves. And God brought us through some trials that made us rely not on ourselves, but on God. So, do you see how Paul was weaving even that confession and God centered interpreting of So, we've looked at this first part of the metaphor enables you how fires are able to see and interpret. What does it mean for self reliance? And Rely on this other than God. See what provides warmth and comfort. I think, if we're honest, this is probably pretty intuitive. This is probably a struggle for many of us. I know it is for me. 
the ways that we run to something else other than God for comfort and warmth. So I think the most pressing way to do this, the most pressing, is when we do good works, either for selfish gain or for moral gain. It's the classic idea of legalism. But where we, this temptation, I think it's a temptation for all of us to measure our spirituality or measure our relationship with God by how much we are doing, how much we are doing. And this is even popular outside the church right now. It's very popular among the younger generation. I'm doing the work to fight blank injustice. Are you? I'm doing the work to understand the level. Are you? There's a legalism here. And that's the ultimate self-fire. To come before God with your righteousness. In other ways that you can do this, it's comparing yourself to others, feeling better or the more secure because of that. Justifying yourself to minimize your sin. I wish I said I wish I could say I don't do this, but I certainly have at times. Right? Where you feel the Holy Spirit kind of convict you of something. You say, no, 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 that's really that's the other person's fault. Right? No, 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 I wasn't gossiping. I was just I was just sharing sharing my burdens with someone about it. They just really hurt me. We can so subtle on Right? So that's a false fire. It's a false fire. And here's another one. It's probably not the most good to know. Which is turning to temporary entertainment or comforts, right? Uh, just when I'm feeling worn out and tired. So that can be endless Instagram scroll, that can be YouTube videos, that can be just copious amounts of chocolate, right? But it's one of these things, yeah, that's Netflix is not there for that. Alright, you do something that chocolate is not that. I love chocolate. Uh, it's not there for that. Um, it's when I'm relying on those things. When I run to those things first, when I'm tired. When I run to those things first, when I'm frustrated at my work day. Right? That's, that's a small thing, but it's big in God's eyes to rely on those things. So we see this warning here what it means to light your own fire, right? This false fire of self-reliance. And it ends with a warning. This you will have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Lie down in evil. In many ways, this is a classic um, way that God actually reveals his displeasure or wrath. This is in moments long. He talks about how God wishes to those who suppress the truth. How does he do that? He lets them do what their hearts desire. He gives them up as their friend. He gives them up to a base point. He gives them up to the dark and of darkness. So often, God doesn't. There isn't a punishment on people from just fire from heaven. It's just letting you feel the effects of relying on yourself or something else other than God. Those effects. Fear, frustration, isolation, anger, self righteousness. These are the relations. These are the fruits of 
of living by these false desires. And it might come later, right? In the moment, it might feel good. In the moment, it provides that immediate comfort or immediate interpretation. You might make some practical decisions that seem pretty good in the beginning, but often frequent them. But praise God, I want to pause this moment. If I were stopped right here, this would not be sermon for the for the gospel for gospel. It would just be a fear mongering place. Praise God doesn't give just warnings, he gives us encouragements, he gives us reasons to trust. Okay? And that's why I want to turn you know, this first before. I want to turn to the next. If the warning is false fire, is this self-like doesn't last. We have these reasons to trust them that are in Isaiah 22. So look again, verse 1 through 3. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, and you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you and the poor from which you Look to Abraham your father and Sarah your mother. Let me just pause right there. Oh, do you hear God pleading with me? Listen to me. Listen to me. This is a refrain we see throughout scripture. In Psalm 81, God's people said, Oh my people, if you would come, listen to me. Open your mouth wide, and I would I would satisfy you with the funnest of you. I said, Listen to me. I know you're hearing voices telling you how to interpret the darkness you're going through. I know the temptation to think that I've abandoned you. I know that that thing is. Listen to me instead, you who pursue righteousness. Listen to me, you who fear me. And this next metaphor, he has this image of a rock in which you will hear, pouring you to Adam, and this idea of being the children of Abraham. This is a metaphor that's meant to encourage us to anchor our faith in the one who creates us Right? To give a little, maybe a helpful, Interpretation of this or helpful image for this. This kind of is similar to the phrase or, or the phrase that was used back in the older times of, oh, this person, they come from good stuff. They come from a good family. Okay. Um, there's a classic study from 1900 that looked at Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s and his whole lineage down, you know, three or four generations and compared it to a contemporary his name, Max Street. And I won't go too deep into this study, but I'm tempted to. But go ahead. But in short, we look at this the legacy of Jonathan Edwards. There's people, his children and grandchildren and great grandchildren, many of them were governors and uh, leaders and pastors and missionaries and people that gave back to the community and lived upright lives. And this master, Duke, he had many children as well, but he, Thief, lazy, a drunkard. Many of his children went to jail, and his children were, and grandchildren, great grandchildren, were fiends and liars, and just many died young and lived apart. Now, we don't want to, you were not a slave to the family in which you were born, but it's worth remembering that we live in such a hyper society that we kind of forget, you know, we are influenced by. And the people we surround ourselves with, and how we were raised. And that there's this idea that, you know, very, variation of the children of hardworking and 
faithful people tend to also be faithful and proud. And so in families like that, they would often say they discipline a child, like, don't act like that. That is not fitting behavior for a son or a daughter. So the expectation to not live a certain way is based on remember who you are. Remember who you are. And God is saying this. See, look to the rock from which he was here. He's saying to be struggling in the dark, dark people, that they were hewn from rock, that they come from strength. And we see that this rock, this is the Abraham's My time is very encouraging. It's my faith often feels I look at how fickle my heart is, and I get discouraged. And God has said to Austin, those places, that I feel weak. But look at this. I teach you. I don't even know more. You are the children of the And not only, not only, he talks about how we were, that Abraham was, but so he's pointing us back to look at this person that was not that special. He was just one man. And I did wonders through him generations after God constructs things so small, our smallest steps of He can do amazing things. God does not need lots of people. He does not need many people to do amazing things. Even a small flock, God can do wondrous things. God can take one man and one woman and do astounding things. Because remember, your faith is from God. Is this a Philippians? It's not the one who began a good one. You will he not bring to the future of the day. Listen to him. He will increase your faith. He will strengthen you with him. He will give you the grace that you need. You are not chaff. You will not be blown away. You were dug from the rock. God will uphold you in the darkness. He, he will cause you to outlast the darkness. That is how good it is. You have a new life. You bank on this. But finally, um, we have the second metaphor here in verse 3. The Lord comforts us, He comforts all of His senses. He makes her a wilderness of Eden, her desert of the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness of the Father, thanksgiving in the voice of song. This would have landed on the people that was first of the as too good to be sure. Because remember the context. God had banished his people. They had gone to exile. The city that, that bore his name, Zion, Jerusalem, was burned to the ground. It seemed like all of God's promises came to an end. And God was saying, no, 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 no. I comfort them. The waste places and wilderness, the destruction of see, I will utterly redeem. I will utterly redeem. So there are periods in your parts of your life that feel like you're redeemed. They feel like waste places. 
they feel like darkness. You don't want to talk about that. My friends, my family in Christ, God can and will use. He will use everything for good. And He will get glory even out of your wickedness, even out of your sin. God can redeem the ways that you can be made. I find that difficult. But to, to see this passage, to see this thing in the forest, how then shall we, right? What enables us to change? It's not enough for us to know, oh, to be told, hey, trust him. Or it's not enough to know that our identity should not be in the things we do, or not to rely on things. We need God to, to help us with that. We need something that will enable us to live in a new life. And the gospel does this. The gospel helps us to live. The first point I just want to say, it enables us to confess our false fires without seeking to stay. What am I doing? Right. We don't have to live in shame for the ways that we trust us that we love. The gospel, the good news of God's character, revealed the death and resurrection of Christ, who took on all of our sin and killed him on the cross, nailed our death, that we might be free. That gospel enables us to say, He did this while we were so sinners. So I am free to share my worst responsibilities, to confess both to God and to others, and not say this. I am free to that. Because I am loved apart from what I've done. I am loved in spite of it. So the gospel enables us to confess the ways that we have trusted in us. Not only so promises victory over time. It promises future grace through the power of Christ. You see, when, when Jesus saved you, he really did cleanse you of all of your sin. So that when you confess it, he is faithful and just. Faithful and just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us of all of our So that the very spirit of the living God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he lives in you. And he will create this trust in him. He will create, he will remind you. He will give you the power to say no to the self-fires, the power to trust in God. And it takes time. God works in a longer time than that would do. He works in years and decades. He'll give you that. There will be victory through Christ. So the gospel enables us to change because we have a promise of victory in this life as well as eternal victory when we see the distance. But then finally, perhaps most the gospel promises the presence of Jesus, the only one who really experience true darkness. What do I mean? I haven't talked much about the context of 
obscure passage that I tell you, right? It turns out it's in the middle of the servant songs, a series of punishments describing this future Messiah. That Messiah was Jesus. He experienced darkness. He was the only one that was truly cut off from God, from our Father. He experienced that heaviness in the garden gets under that we can't even So even the, the worst darkness is you've gone through, and some of you have gone through some very heavy things. Far But even that, Jesus felt that to the nth degree. He felt being cut off from his father. He felt forsaken by God because he was forsaken by God. So that we might live. Never Jesus did this because he wanted to be the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So even in the dark, we are struggling. We can look to this Jesus and know that he is with us. He understands. He took all of our idols, all of our sin, all of our false lives. He took all of that on ourselves that we might be. You are not, right? So even in the dark, you are not forsaken. He's promised. You are not children of darkness. You are children of light. So, my friends, I'm going to be Let's walk in this love today. Trust Him. He loves you so much. He loves you so He knows. He sees. It says in John 1 that in him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of heaven. And the light was come into the world, and the darkness was not The darkness is not over. So no, no matter how hard things are now, or perhaps in the future, how they will be. You have the spirit who's light as And he will hold you. So let's walk in the light of Christ today. Let's pray together as we Thank you that 
you bore the weight of our sin. I love to carry it. Thank you that you never have to be far from me. That even when you allow us to feel from you have not turned away from us. You are looking at us in your love. You call us even as in worship. But we are your beloved. You are not ashamed of God's Lord, we long for the day when we will finally be free from our sinful lives. We will see you face to face. And the sin outside of it, this evil world, and the sin inside of us will be abolished. But until that day, Lord, help us to walk. In the light of who you are. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to include you in our everyday decisions. How to include you in the big things and the little things. This thing as small as I'll have a working with you. Let me pray. Oh, I have a little bit of conversation with you. God, please help me. I feel a little. Help us to include you in this. To see that life with you. Truly. Miracle of living with the King, of being loved perfectly beyond anything you can imagine. Lord, even as I pray for that, I thank you that you give us grace. And our imperfect attempts to do this, you will bless. Not because of our own, because what you have done. So, Lord, we love you. And we ask for grace to love and trust you more. And we're so thankful that we are now.